The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social Screenwriters Podcast. Where Andy talks to people he met on the internet. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode four of the Social Screenwriters Podcast. I am your host, Andy Compton, and today we have a very special guest, one of maybe the more popular guys on screenwriting Twitter. I say Guy because his name is Guy Crawford. I've done like seven Guy bits on Twitter, and now I'm doing them on the podcast. I apologize. Um, I don't write a script for these things. I just kind of wing it. So... Anyway, he is a very supportive member of the community. I'm sure a lot of you know him. Uh, very good dude. Uh, always trying to celebrate the wins of others. Always trying to prop up others in the community. And uh, it was a great conversation. I mean, he's been around the block and knows a lot about the craft and the business. So we dig into that. We dig into guy's point of view on how to respectfully network which is something that he's done very well um especially with pros on like twitter because there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it and the wrong way is like it's kind of a sure way to build a bad reputation so we talk about that we talk about guy his life i mean the guy's lived he's had some near-death experiences that he was uh open enough to share with all of us today and uh he talks a lot about new orleans and uh if you know anything about guy you know that he's from new orleans it's a big part of who he is and it's a big part of his writing so we dig into that and uh i also want to just caution everyone that i think i say you know in this episode more than anyone has ever said you know in like a 90 minute span so a little embarrassed, but it happened so much. I couldn't even cut it out in the edit. I was like, fuck it. That's staying in. Um, also real quick, just want to let you guys know. So I do put quite a bit of work into recording these things and editing these things and doing the little graphics and all that stupid shit. But, um, I actually just set up, uh, a button on the link tree link on the official Twitter page. You'll see it there. And it's on the Instagram for the Social Screenwriters Podcast um, at Social Writer Pod. And you'll see a donate button and it leads to a PayPal account where if you want to donate, because a few people have reached out and said uh, they want to donate. And I was like, hey, I'm broke and I do do this for free. So, hey, why not? Um, especially because we don't have sponsorships. We don't have advertisers or anything like that. So that's um, something new. If you want to donate, cool. If you don't have the money, no worries. I know how it goes. Just figured I would throw it out there. But um, that button is on the link tree. Just go to our Twitter or our Instagram and click that little link in our bio. And it's probably the top button. So anyway, thank you guys. Let's dive into this episode with Guy Crawford. Here we go. And with me today is maybe one of the most popular guys on all of screenwriting Twitter, well-regarded, well-liked by pretty much everyone. And this today is Guy Crawford. 
Guy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Andy. Thank you very much for having me on. Of course, man. Of course. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool to meet you. Like, you know, I think I came around the screenwriting Twitter community in like kind of when the pandemic started. So like March of okay. 2020. I know that's not when it started, but like when lockdown got real serious, you know, <laughs> and um, you were one of the first people I noticed because you were kind of just, you know, kind of replying to everybody's tweets saying kind things and supportive things. And that's kind of just how I've come to know you. And I think uh, it's been confirmed to me time and time again, that's kind of how a lot of people in our community feel about you. So uh, it's just a real pleasure to have you on today, man. And uh, really looking forward to it. How does it feel to be uh, screenwriting Twitter's one of the, one of the most well-liked people around on there? <laughs> um, kind of weird, but it's really simple for me because what you see on Twitter is what you get in real life. I love it. I try to be the same way. And I respond to people, especially a lot of times people have good news, whether mm. it's contest or they placed in something or they got a good review or anything. And a few kind words really, you know, just say, man, great. Congratulations. Can mean a lot. It may be the only thing they get from that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when you see spec script shout outs, sometimes mm -hmm. that may be the only acknowledgement that this script has ever been written. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's worth my time to reach out to that writer because as you know, and I know there are a lot of dark nights of the soul when you write a script. Yes. And for another writer, regardless of whether, like, you know, amateur trying to become pro or a pro or whatever, if you take the time to reach out and say, hey, man, great job, you never know what that'll mean to them the next time they're sitting there in the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally agree, man. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it's such an uphill battle, <laughs> this whole thing. And um, I, I think that's something I learned from you and then, you know, a few other people around the community. Um, just you know, saying a couple nice things every now and again is, uh, you don't quite know what it could do for someone's self-esteem. I know me personally, I've had times where I was down in the dumps, you know, and out of the blue, you know, someone that I met through Twitter, mm -hmm. uh, has just said something nice or they read something I wrote and reach out, you know, and it just like completely picks me back up. And, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And that's something that's so special about this community. You know, I, I think that um, a lot of the good things that have happened for me in screenwriting wouldn't have happened if I wasn't on Twitter. And mm -hmm. like I said in the last episode for just a second, uh, you know, you don't have to be some big part of it or anything like that. But just kind of being around and making a couple friends, you really don't know, you know, and you're trying to make genuine friendships. You're not trying to, like, just see who can help you but you really right. don't know just by making that friendship, what could possibly come from it down the line, mm -hmm. you know? And it's, you know, but, you know, again, just to preface that, uh, don't go reaching out to people just solely because, Oh, what door are you going to open for me? It's not well, about that, and, but. No, I mean, a while back, Noah Eslin, somebody was asking, how do you, how do you do this guy? And Noah came out and said, guy kind of does it the gold standard way. He doesn't come at you with read my stuff. What can mm -hmm. you do for me? he gets involved with you he, he interacts with you mm -hmm. and that's kind of how i am in person i yes i'm on twitter to help expand my network and you know get in places i can't get geographically isolated from hollywood sure but the friendships and connections i've made on twitter have literally opened so many doors 
that I didn't know were there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those are the, the side benefits because I've gotten to know people who I've seen on the screen, their names, their credits. And mm. I find out about their dogs, their kids, you know, because we, we sometimes forget that the pros that interact with us on Twitter, they're human. Yep. You know, they have families, they have job worries. They're trying to stay in while we're trying to get in. Mm-hmm. And the biggest issue is I see a lot of times people beat them to death for the smallest things. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We see that like on a weekly basis, don't we? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I won't name the writer, but uh-huh. one person called this writer's wife and complained about how busy they were when this writer had to reschedule because the studio needed something from the professional writer. Mm-hmm. That blew my mind. The idea that somebody would call this professional writer's wife. Yeah. I'm like, they, they, they called them to say what? I'm sorry. They called them. To yeah. S- they called the professional writer's wife mm-hmm. to complain about how busy they were and how they were inconvenienced by the fact that the professional writer rescheduled a call. Oh my gosh. Okay. Now I get it. Yeah. yeah and I just, and I hear these kind of things all the time and I'm kind con- I'm like, that's why I'm always so grateful. And I make sure to let them know mm-hmm. of the time and effort, you know, whether it's advice they give on Twitter, whether mm-hmm. it's they reach out to other writers, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have to do this. Exactly. They're, it's always them in. reaching back. Right. They're yeah. in, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to stay in, but they're in. They don't have to reach back and tell us things that they've learned the hard way. No, they could, they could turn their back on all of us the minute they get in there. And, you know, technically they're not doing anything wrong by doing that. It's that these are, you know, kind people, if they're, you know, a humble writer, then they'll, they'll remember where they came from and how hard Mm -hmm. it is. So yeah, they take the time out of their day to reach back. Yeah. I try to never press people who are in the business Mm -hmm. about, you know, they have to cancel a meeting or they have to do this or that. And I haven't had many opportunities to begin with, but just right. saying like, yeah, that just seems crazy to me uh, rather than just being humble and grateful and being like, yeah, okay, well, you know, whenever you do have the time, uh, let me know, you know, we'll make it, we'll make it happen then. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You hear some stories that you're like, wow, there are people out there like that. Like who, they're just like you and I, they're trying to get into the show Mm -hmm. and to have that kind of attitude, like anyone owes you anything is pretty insane. You know, I always tell people when they ask, because I get a lot of DMs about God, how do you get these professionals to read you? Mm -hmm. Um, And I say, well, the first thing is I've never asked a professional writer to read me. Mm -hmm. Not once. Mm -hmm. Um, They reach out to you. They've reached out to me because they got curious or I had interacted with them enough where they said, you know, I wonder if this guy can write mm-hmm. in addition to being. And so it's been a wonderful thing because, you know, as you know, one leads to two, two yes. leads to four. Mm-hmm. And that's when those strange and wonderful things, you know, happen. Um, so it's I tell them all the time, be genuine, yep. be respectful, be grateful. You, mm-hmm. You'll go a lot further with them that way. And it's funny too. I'm sure that those professionals who are reaching out to you, it's because they kind of see you being a positive force out there in the community. And they're just like, well, you know, he seems like a good person. Maybe I'll take a look. 
you know? So it's like sometimes literally just leading with being a decent human being, um, that can be enough. That can be more than query letters ever could have done for you, you know? Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying don't query, but all right. I'm saying is, you know, yeah, sometimes just being a positive person and a decent human being when you interact with people and this shouldn't be your only motivation to be a decent human guys, but right. you know, it, it leads to things and it's pretty incredible. Well, That's actually like part of how I got involved with uh, roadmap writers was just being on Twitter and just, you know, I guess not being perceived as an asshole and Dorian Connolly from roadmap <laughs> reached out to me, you know, just like, yeah. Hey, I, I saw what you did in the nickel. But before that, I already kind of liked you. Mm. So it's like, you know, that yeah just you know don't be a dick that's that's basically you know all <laughs> that's the best advice. Down to. yeah and you're uh new orleans right yes i feel like i wouldn't know guy crawford if i didn't know that right off the bat yeah so, it's uh, been a, a pretty constant part of my my twitter presence um mm -hmm. i i will use taylor sheridan as, as an example sure i would love to do for new orleans and the stories that i've written and about the city what he's done for Texas and Cowboys and Montana, that kind mm -hmm. of progression yeah. of, of yeah. different stories that represent the truth and authenticity of the world. I tell people this all the time. Millions of people come to New Orleans mm -hmm. for, for a lot of reasons, but it's also about the vibe that they get when they're there. Yeah. And in Taylor's work, you get a, an authentic truth in his work. Mm-hmm. And I try to do that in mind. So, um, I mean, I'm no Taylor Sheridan, but I would love to do what he does. No, of course. Yeah. And I think that's so cool because for me, honestly, I don't know a ton about New Orleans. I probably know as much as like maybe even a little less than the average person. I don't know much, but I do from the outside looking in, think of it as somewhere that's very rich in culture, mm -hmm. like uh, for, you know, an American city. Uh, yeah. But well, yeah. when you, you consider at one time, France, Spain, England all claimed New Orleans. Mm -hmm. um, those blends. And then you throw in the Caribbean influence as well. Mm -hmm. And New Orleans from the very beginning has been a city that is the closest thing I could say would maybe San Francisco. Mm -hmm. But it really stands on. They say you need a passport to come to New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, that's... And I really, I really believe that. And the vibe of the people, you know, they live. They don't exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, I love that. Yeah, and I, and I love that you're trying to do that with your work as well. I mean, to to maybe a, a less, you know, hyper-specific sense, that's kind of what I'm doing with like just kind of Midwestern mm -hmm. uh, working class because that's what I am and that's what I come from. And so yeah. that's what a lot of my stories are. But um, yeah, I think that's so cool and that's always been so interesting to me. And then again, just, you know, this was months and months ago, but you might remember this. But uh, one time the the network ISA, they had one of their writing gigs that they send out an email sometimes. And there was mm -hmm. one that had New Orleans in the prompt. And I was like immediately like Guy Crawford. And I, I sent it over to you and you were like, yeah, you're like maybe the 10th person to send me this. I, I got emails, uh, DMs on Twitter, yeah. flat out posts. Yeah. And it was really great and heartwarming because I was like, okay, they get me, you know, this and I sent it in and never heard a single word back from yeah. them at all. I've entered, right. uh, I've submitted to maybe like, I don't know, maybe like 10, 
15 of those ISA gigs never I heard back like once and then I've gone into my ISA account and seen a few like straight up passes and I'm like yeah that's fine but anyway I don't know anyone who it's worked out for so you're you're not alone there (laughs) well but also I kind of get the impression I could be wrong is that they're all often looking for very micro budget type projects Mm -hmm. and I really don't write those Uh, um I I've tried Mm-hmm. And it just keeps getting bigger as I write them. And yeah. Yeah. So. Well, uh, yeah, you know, I, I would like to move into uh, how about we talk about you as a screenwriter. So can you tell me a little bit about just how you got into screenwriting? Yeah. Um, really weird. It's I started out as a kid writing, watching TV shows and rewriting them while I was watching them. Mm-hmm. And they, they my whole family thought I was going to be an actor, writer, blah, blah, blah. And then I got older, got into the teenage world, and got into college, made a different path, decided I was going to go corporate. Mm-hmm. Um, I always kept writing. Um, but when I was a kid, I was given less than 24 hours to live. And so as I got older, that started to weigh on me a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I was involved in an accident about six years ago. Mm-hmm. And I've been writing all this time. And I woke up in the hospital and said, I don't know how many more lives I have. Yeah. Um, wow, that's fascinating. So right then I said, okay, that's it. I'm going to go back to the one thing that I truly love, which is writing, creating, and see where it takes me. Sure. So um, was this always screenwriting? Yes. I've okay. always, you know, whether it's movies or television, and I guess it might be selfish, but when I go to a movie, I still have that sense of awe and wonder as, that mm-hmm. I had as a kid mm-hmm. when the screen goes up. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it, I can and relate. When, and when a television show that takes me somewhere into a world, you know, and I'll use one that one been one of my favorites lately has been Hightown. Mm-hmm. It was on stars mm-hmm. and it was about, it's up on the Cape and it's a world I'm not familiar with. And I really got into it because it took me somewhere new. Yeah. And so, and that's what I want to do when I write. Yeah, I want to take people to places, you know, they want to go that they may not know in worlds and characters. So, um, so when I made that commitment, it was kind of kismet maybe because about a year or so later, after writing in the void, not getting anywhere and getting anybody to read my stuff, I came across the Rack Seventeen hashtag on Twitter, um, and it was filled with these people like Paul Guyton and Gary Graham and. Others that it's like, wait a minute, they're all talking about spec scripts. How do I get them to read mine? Mm-hmm. And and then I slowly worked my way into reading theirs. Mm-hmm. And then later on, they read mine and the Twitter world took off. And so that's where screenwriting's always been a part of me, but it wasn't I made the decision as a younger man to say I'm gonna do the corporate thing, whether yeah. you, you know family pressure or not. Sure, but I always I always wrote. I was always writing new scripts. A lot of mm-hmm. them buried under ten feet of concrete now. Uh-huh. Nobody, <laughs> nobody's seeing those. Yeah, we all have a few of those. Um, but you know, it's like I thought. Uh, how many you know, do I have? Nine lives? Do I have one more? Do I have a couple more? Mm-hmm. Because I've, I've been, you know, like I said, given twenty four hours to live. Yeah. Had a That's... horse kick me in the head. They found me wandering in a field. Shouldn't be alive then couple of car wrecks how, how old were you when that happened 
with the horse? I I was 13. Oh my gosh. Wow. I was wow. in second grade when I caught encephalitis. And by the time they found me, my brain had swollen and I was in a coma. And by the time they diagnosed me with encephalitis, the doctors told my parents he won't make it till the morning. Oh my gosh. I've never even heard of that encephalitis. Yeah. It's a, yeah, uh, they call it the sleeping sickness. A lot of times you go to sleep and you don't wake up. Oh my gosh. Second grade. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, wow. So, and then, and then later you said, you know, yeah. some car wrecks. And- yeah. But so I've always, I don't know if it makes sense, but I've always been appreciative of a new day. Sure. Sure. If I wake up above the daisies. Yeah. I've got a chance to do something. What I do with it is up to me. And that kind of comes across on Twitter. But that's why I said what you see on there is what you get in real life because I've been to the edge, <laughs> yeah. if you will. Yeah, um, more, more than once. Yes. And so I am very appreciative of time and what it means because time is an ever-dwindling resource. It is. Every second that ticks by, you don't get back. You can't nope. go buy it more nope. lives on a video game. Nope. And so that's why what I put into this community on Twitter is important to me, whether it's being kind to people, you know, reaching out, tell them great job, whatever, mm-hmm. reading scripts, because I realize tomorrow's not guaranteed. And you've seen all the recent deaths of celebrities and everything, mm-hmm. you know, it's what would you say to someone if they were here versus what you say after they're gone? Yeah, man. Yeah, that's that's deep, man. Yeah, and that's it's really beautiful how you put it too about, you know, uh, a new day really is a gift. And we get so caught up in the day to day stresses of, you know, work, family, you know, all those things. Sometimes you just got to look around and appreciate, you know, the sky above your head, you know, and uh, being able to take that breath. Yeah, that's really nice. And I would imagine too, maybe thematically that bleeds into your work as well at times. Yeah, all the time. Um, yeah. I'm always about, you can read almost anything and there's somebody who's overcoming something mm-hmm. or somebody doesn't believe in them or, um, and it's, there's, this might be why I like the supernatural in some of my stuff mm-hmm. because, you know, they say the, the veil is thin in New Orleans because it's watery and everything else that it acts as a super highway for the spirits or ghosts, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had my experiences, and we'll let it go at that. But here, um, New Orleans is famous for being haunted. Yeah, I was going to say, again, as a very outsider person, yeah. I didn't know that that's like part of the culture. Uh, yes. That's really interesting to hear from someone, though, who's, you know, in yeah. it. Well, to, to make, it, make it easy, if you sell property in New Orleans, mm-hmm. you must list if it's haunted or not. Are you kidding me? That's like an no. official thing? That is a law. Whoa. Um, because there are places that are considered haunted. That And Jean Lafitte's blacksmith shop is one of them, but there are mm-hmm. many. Mm-hmm. But if you put up a home uptown New Orleans and you have told people it's haunted, you must list that in the list. That is so interesting. So what kind of effect? Because, I mean, if, you know, people in new Orleans kind of all know about this. What effect does that I'm getting so far away from screenwriting. What kind of effect does that have on like property values and stuff like in real estate? The, the, cynic, the cynical part of me says it jacks them up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but there, you know, a lot of celebrities buy property in New Orleans for what right. reason you, know, you don't know, but sure. Nick Cage and a whole bunch of others, but yeah. uh, it's just a part of the culture. And it's like we say here, you don't ask if ghosts are real. Mm -hmm. That's like I say, asking if the sky is blue. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a part of life. Hmm. That's really cool. Cause I'm a big horror guy, so I'm cool with it, man. I'll roll with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, that's awesome, man. So, um, I do know, usually I would ask a writer cause I, I've, I know you on Twitter more than some of the people I've interviewed, uh, mm -hmm. not currently repped, right? No. Um, yeah. I'm not a, a fierce query person. Mm -hmm. I need, I need to up that part of my game. Sure. Um, it's so frustrating. My, my focus really has been the building of relationships with professional writers showrunners yep. there's some reps in there that slowly um are coming to my way and yep. i'm kind of leaning towards the jeff lieber tip of when the time comes they'll be there mm -hmm. and if there's money on the table they'll definitely show up yeah yeah so um i don't worry about them as much um i've been very fortunate because of relationships mm -hmm. i've had studio general meetings I've been inside the gates. I've had production with Oscar nominated Prodco meetings mm -hmm. um, and, and other meetings that have come around because of relationships that I have with other people. Man, that is so, so awesome to hear someone, you know, say that, especially someone who's been around the block the way you have in screenwriting mm -hmm. is, you know, it, it's such a mystery, I think, to young writers and new writers. Um, you know, how do I get repped? That's like the thing I have to do. And it's like, you will find writers out there who sold a feature without having a rep. You know, you, you sometimes it's a little harder, but it it's happened and not just once. And, uh, but what I really like about what you said is that you focus on the relationships more than, you know, a blind query. What does that really tell? If, if you don't have a log line that is not only captivating, but it hits exactly what that person is looking for at that exact time, which that's like, it's a needle in a haystack. Um, however, if you're out there just networking, just meeting people, uh, not for the sake of, you know, maybe they're going to rep me someday, but just talking to them, you know, like what's your experience been like in the business, you know, because I'm just, ex I'm interested in that, in this world, you know, I just want to keep meeting people who are a part of it and keep learning and all these things. I, it could be a more effective way, you know, in my opinion, uh, people, there, there's nothing more, there's nothing that grips you more than a human connection, mm -hmm. you know, and you can do that through an email. And that goes to the, what, the way and why I write. Um, I want to reach off the page. Mm -hmm. I want to touch someone, you know, whether it's to make them laugh, cry, get pissed off, something. Mm-hmm that grips them. And, and so the same thing with representation. Yes, I would love to have the right representation. Mm -hmm. Someone who gets me, gets my work, knows the doors where that kind of work is wanted and will bust ass to get it there. Mm -hmm. um, versus just being part of their stable. And like you said, if you don't cross their, their desk at the right time with queries, a lot of times it just, and it has nothing to do with the quality of your work. Mm -mm. You just didn't hit what they're looking for right now. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, and like you said too, you know, 
rather be on the right team with the right person rather than be one of, you know, 150 writers that they're looking at because just the sad truth of it, you know, if there's, you know, 25 to 30 writers who are already getting industry jobs and have reputations and all these things above you, it's just going to be tough for you. Uh, and I feel like I'm stating the obvious. I know that you know it. But um, to anyone listening who maybe doesn't know that much about representation yet, uh, it's it's very much okay and sometimes encouraged to look for the smaller, more boutique agencies and management companies. Uh, find managers who are kind of just building a roster um, for the first time. And you you, of course, not only might have a better chance of getting signed because they might take a closer look at your work than someone who's very busy that already has dozens and dozens of clients, but also you'll be one of the priorities um, rather than being down way down at the bottom of the list as the very new writer who has no credits. Um, yeah. It can just be beneficial. And I'll just leave it at that. You know, I'm not the first yeah. person to say that I, that's all over the internet. You'll find advice that says that, but you know, if anyone yes. happened to not know that throw it out there. Um, but yeah, man, I think that's great uh, building relationships. And I think it's really cool for other writers to hear something other than, blind queries, you know, elevator pitching, you know, trying to catch reps, you know, uh, when they're in their private life, you know, you hear those crazy Hollywood stories of like, you know, stalking somebody outside of, you know, the grocery store. Um, but I think that's cool. I, I think that building genuine relationships is the best way to go for most things in the industry. Uh, so, uh, now I get to talk about that fun word that we all love as writers brand. Uh, so, Guy, oh. how would you describe your brand as a writer? Um, You've already touched on little bits, but, you know, if you had to sum it yeah. up. Yeah, I had to sum it up. It's really an eclectic look at the human condition through a very New Orleans lens. Mm -hmm. um, because I like to create worlds that represent the world around me. So I'm going to have people of color. I'm going to have, you know, marginalized communities that are in positions of power or playing the role. But somebody called my brand once New Orleans, New Orleans with a twist. And the twist is typically the authentic truth that I'm trying to drive home in the store. Mm -hmm. um, and that I love that because it gave me something to stay. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. But if I, if you strip it all away though, it's not about New Orleans. It's not about, the writing, it's the creating of a world that I'm inviting you in. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really why I write. It's not to change the world. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm not, I don't think I'll ever write a Schindler's List. I might, but I don't think so. Sure. Um, but if I write something that reaches off the screen and touches them, that's my brain. That's who I am because that's who I am in real life. And I want to do that with my work. That's beautiful, man. I really like that. I, I feel like I'm similar in that way of, you know, uh, just hearing you talk, I'm like, man, that's, that's what I'm trying to do right there. And I feel like so many writers out there are going to agree. And that's, you know, we can talk about, you know, big or small budgets, you know, mm -hmm. genre, subgenre, you know, all these things, but really if you can grab a person's human humanity, you know, if you yes. can grab their heart, uh, like you said, good or bad, I can make you happy, sad, angry, whatever, scared, 
but if you can if you can turn those emotions that's that's the scripts that people don't forget um so wanted to ask you something about your routine because i'm fascinated by this i think it's you know we're all trying to get to the same uh finish line of a finished script that you know it hits and people like it uh but we're 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 all so different too i don't think you can find two writers who go about screenwriting the exact same way so whenever you're writing, are you like a morning person, a night person? Do you sit at a desk? Do you sit in your living room, indoor, outdoor? Yeah, I'm kind of boring, I think. Um, I sit at a desk mostly, right mm-hmm. at night. You know, everybody has the daytime gig. Yep. Um, but I don't need music. I don't need a, a playlist. I don't need, you know, a certain snacks or whatever. As long <laughs> as I've got a Diet Coke to keep my brain turning along yeah all i do is open up the software and go to work Mm -hmm. you know i don't need some kind of motivation or or whatever yeah i'm driven to be here yeah um and as far as how i go about it maybe a little old-fashioned i start out with index cards oh yeah okay for a feature i will write out 70 ish index cards put them up on the board Mm -hmm. for uh, a pilot maybe 40 Mm-hmm. and then start playing around with them and yeah. once i get them where i think then i will do a quasi outline mm-hmm. and then once i go to script i leave the board up and go and run from there um it's like i said kind of boring i don't have any really unique things that i do yeah i, I just go to work yeah i was gonna say that kind of strikes me as like you know like kind of an old school just pro ap- approach to it you know, like no, no frills, no nothing, no, you know, bells and whistles, just, uh, just that's what you got to do to be a pro. You just sit there and do the work. Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't play music. I do, do need silence of a tune. I need mm-hmm. quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because I, I like to joke with people that that's the only way the characters can talk to me. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, so, you know, so, you know, I wish I had a better answer for you on that one, but it's kind of boring. No, no, I like that. Um, and also, so like with process too, you kind of mentioned like doing like a board, doing mm-hmm. index cards. Uh, so how does that go to back it up even more? Like, let's say you just had a new idea. What is Guy Crawford doing right after he gets an idea and has a moment to kind of chip away? At it? I've got a spiral notebook, a stack mm-hmm. of them. I pull a fresh one out and I just start writing by hand. Ah, okay. Um, and, and everything, every script that I've mm-hmm. ever written mm-hmm. has always started with one constant thing. There is a scene that will not leave me alone mm-hmm. that I have to write first. Mm. And it may be an opening scene. Mm-hmm. It could be the one that hits on page 74. Mm-hmm. It could be on page 13. It's going to make it into the script. I just never know where. But it's the one constant I wrote. Um, I wrote a script a while back, and it's a scene on a yacht, and it's a very brutal scene, but it's also very kind of psychologically brutal. There is the brutality was done before that, but mm-hmm. and it, and it's it's this woman, and she's coming down the stairs in the yacht, and there's a guy on the yacht who's beaten up. That would not leave me alone. I wrote it, and it's a three page scene. Mm-hmm. When he wrote the script, it ended up on page 74 through 76. Hmm. 
that's where wow. it fit. But that's deep, what got deep me into to, the script. Yeah, but that's what got me to write that story was that scene. And that's that came really from the original idea. And that's usually what I'm writing when I'm writing, okay, here's my idea. And it starts clicking, then I start playing around, and it will come that one scene that I'll write out. Yeah, that is super interesting. I might steal that from you. <laughs> Feel free, but, um, but don't be surprised when it pops up, you know, way late or way early or opening or anywhere in the script. It'll find the yeah. right spot. Yeah. Yeah, and that's all I'm doing that. with this podcast is just stealing ideas from other writers. These Beautiful. things don't even get broadcasted. This is all for me. Smart man. Smart <laughs> man. But that's the thing about this scene. Yeah. Is it, it's usually a very distinct over enlightening scene about the overall story and the main character. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, and that, gotcha. And that's what drives me to write the script. Yeah, that is super interesting. And it's crazy interesting that would it would happen on page 74. So deep into the story. I mean, that's kind of just placing it not quite in the middle, a little more two thirds in, but like, and then mm-hmm. build, building out both ways, you know, right. back, back towards the beginning and towards the end. Um, yeah, that's super cool. And I, and also as, you know, uh, a millennial uh, computer kid, I'm amazed at busting out the pen and the paper and just mm-hmm. handwriting it. Uh, I think that's awesome too. That uh, goes back to me being a kid sitting yeah. in front of the TV. That's how I wrote scripts. Oh, really? Okay. Watching, you know, a show on TV mm-hmm. and we go, I'll change these lines, you know? Yeah. That's a mess. So how, how old are you when you're doing this stuff as a kid? Ooh, probably started when I was five, six. Wow. Um, wow. So this has been your whole life, man. Just yeah, kinda... I've been writing in, and like I said, people thought for the longest time I was going to be either an actor or a writer, but mm-hmm. I would be in the Hollywood world. Sure. And yeah. for whatever different reasons, it just didn't happen for me at the time. I made some choices that took me down different paths. Sure. Yeah. But, I mean, life happens, you know. But I'm very, you know, grateful that I have this opportunity now. And I, I try not mm-hmm. to waste seconds with it. Yeah. Because the clock's ticking in everybody's head and you mm-hmm. never know. So I, I want, regardless of whether I ever sell anything or not, mm-hmm. become represented, get inside the gates, mm-hmm. I'm going to leave it all in the arena. Man, I love that. I, I really do. I love stories like that. Um, I mean, me, you know, coming from Missouri too, I mean, you from New Orleans, both of mm-hmm. us are kind of underdogs already to start. And oh, yeah. maybe, maybe that's why like the stories I write are usually about underdogs and it sounds like you do the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the stories I really love, you know, like films that have been made and TV shows, uh, I love an underdog story. So just hearing you talk right now, it's like giving me chills because I'm like, yeah, man, that's, that's the attitude that mm-hmm. I'm taking. And I think a lot of us out there are taking that approach of, you know, leave it all on the table, you know, mm-hmm. when you're, when you're done, uh, uh, don't don't have any regrets. You know, I, I don't know about you, but when I restarted this with Rack 17, I did not know a soul. Yeah. No one knew my name. Yeah. Um, and through, you know, time. And, and, and that's why I try to tell a lot of young writers or, or new writers, mm-hmm. don't try to rush the connections. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. build it. They're little building blocks, you know. And yep. if you rush it, 
you're going to give off that vibe that you're just trying to transact this person to get to the next step. Mm -hmm. But if you take your time and you connect, then what comes out of it is so organic and real that it's really a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you've experienced this with your presence on Twitter. Um, But I have as well. I've had a couple messages where it kind of feels like that's what's going on. Like, and immediately, like, you know, just right off the bat, hey, you know, blah, 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 like just trying to move it too fast. And I can almost feel that their next message is going to be like asking me for something. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can feel it and it feels gross. You know, it, yeah. it doesn't feel great. No. And then multiply that by, you know, a pro writer, how many they must oh. be getting. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. From people so, who just you know, kind of lack self awareness. So their bullshit yeah. meter is very attuned by, you know, and so that's, you know, that if I could give a, a young writer the, the advice would be, that's it. Besides yeah. do the work, you know, there are no shortcuts, you know it. No, no. And that should go without saying, you know, you right. can't be a writer if you don't write. And it's, you know, not, you know, write every day and, you know, write all day or anything like that, but you got to be consistent. You got to have it be a consistent part of your life and uh, kind of schedule the rest of your life accordingly. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you don't have to be a workaholic but you do have to make the time. Right. And it's good to set deadlines. And on that, so this is something I'm not that familiar with still. Uh, mm-hmm. That was 2017 with the, uh, it's, it's rack, right? Or, mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. WRAC. So mm-hmm. that was 2017. Whenever you first kind of got into the Twitter community. Late, and... late, late 2017. <clears throat> gotcha. Gotcha. So before that you were kind of just like, out there as a rogue screenwriter in New Orleans, not really connected to anyone outside of New Orleans and except right. maybe the opportunities that you had had here and there. Right. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about Twitter is that, you know, me in Missouri or you in New Orleans, we're able to connect in ways that we've never been before. And, uh, but I wanted to ask you about that because I don't know a ton about rack and I actually in 2020, I like, you know, signed up to be a part of it. And I kind of just like let it get away from me and I never really like fully understood. So could you kind of talk, talk to me about like what rack is and uh, what's happening with it now? Because I also know you just recently accepted you were placed into a new position, right? Yeah. um, For the longest time, I've just been a rack member, Mm -hmm. but um, I was just recently appointed to the board. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a nonprofit, um, but rack is the writer's accountability group. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what it's for. It's there to help, writers helping writers um and yes there are tremendous networking opportunities because you meet so many writers from all over the world who are part of rack and it expands you know one leads to two two leads to four it keeps mm-hmm. going but a couple of real big benefits that people don't really take advantage of is one you submit during the open submission portal which is still open until january 15th mm-hmm. and you submit projects you're going to work on during that calendar year Mm-hmm. And they will send you a periodic Twitter update deadlines this week, and it'll list the names. So, you know, and you break it down by outline, act one, two, and you set your own deadlines. Mm-hmm. But my deadline setter is often crazy, mm-hmm. <laughs> a little too optimistic. But at the end of the year, um, they have what's called the rack list. Mm-hmm. And it's just a compilation of the projects that were submitted and completed and are industry ready that go on the list. Mm-hmm. You st- some people say, well, what, what do I get out of that? Mm-hmm. Well, 
one of my projects on that list got me a call from a development exec at CBS. Whoa. That's amazing. So I don't know. I don't know how much more I can emphasize that that this person got a hold of the rack list mm-hmm. at CBS. Something on there about my project, and they picked up the phone, sent me an email, we talked, and we bounced things off. So that was a connection and a door that opened to me. Yes. That led that has led to other things. Mm-hmm. And I know more than myself, you know, I know people that have got stuff from MGM. Warner Brothers off of the rack list. Um, and that's the two biggest benefits are the relationship you build with the other writers mm-hmm. and the rack list. And then and even if you know you're you need help on something, you need logline help or you're stuck, you can reach mm-hmm. out to people and they will help you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really great thing on Twitter. Um, and it's filled with Truly, truly wonderful people at all up and down the you know thing. Mm-hmm. I have so many professional connections and relationships because of rap. Mm-hmm. Um, wow! Yeah, well, so, congrats on being uh, appointed to the board. That's well, fantastic. I, I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to give something back. Yeah. Because I, you know, you may have seen tweets where I've said, "Rack will change your life." It did mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean that because literally, I was that guy out in the void with scripts, trying to get them here, trying to get them there mm-hmm. and not running into a lot of success and being very frustrated. Mm-hmm. Once I became a very active participant in RAC, mm-hmm. I started getting notifications. Like I said, nobody knew who I was. No one knew my name. Mm-hmm. And over a couple of years, things changed. I started getting requests to read. I started getting things and it's grown. And I knew it kind of turned a little bit when some professional writers reached out and asked to read and then publicly promoted my work, you know, when you get people like the writer of Oculus say, this is a great movie waiting to happen. Yeah. And then you get another writer telling a big company like circle of confusion, you should read guy. Yeah. Because he has a unique voice and, you know, and all of these things came about because of rap. Wow, man. None of it would have occurred without. And so, like I mentioned earlier, I got inside, you know, for general meetings with studios and prodcos. Those all came from rap because it let each little step, you know, move. And like I said, again, building blocks and relationships Mm -hmm. that have led to this. You hear it all the time. You know it. This isn't, you know, a a short game. You can't. No. You know, yeah, you might be the one in a gazillion that, writes a script, gets it in, gets it done. Mm-hmm. But the rest of us, it's a slog. And for people like me and yourself mm-hmm. with no, you know, real ties to LA, this is part of the, the game we chose. And yep. I'm all in. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, there's no short way. And, you know, I would even argue too, <clears throat> if you are one of those lucky people who write a feature and somehow it sells, you know, your first feature, you're still in for a lot of work because trying to meet that again, that success, that immediate out the gate success, I would argue that's maybe even harder than what you and I have had to go through because then the pressure's on and you stand to lose everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, so that's cool. And I really love that getting that explanation about rack. That's fantastic. And so if writers are out there and they want to join rack, how do they do that? Very simple. Go 
go to their page on on Twitter, the Rat mm-hmm. Group. Mm-hmm. Click on the page, like them, of course, mm-hmm. and then click on the link for the site, mm-hmm. and you you can read all about it. And there's also a place where you can submit until January 15th. Awesome, cool, and that's coming up quick. So just yes. F- yeah, you know what? I don't think this podcast is going to be out by then, but I will tweet a, something about it. Yeah, definitely do because I, I've tweeted about it today, but yeah, and the rack list is going to be coming out soon too. Cool, cool, and also, I mean, they can still sign up next year. I mean, we're just putting the word right. out, right. Uh, and that's also rack with a W, just so people know. W R A C group. Yes. Right? Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at least people can go follow the page and everything. Man, I wish that we were recording this like a week earlier. But uh, no, that's awesome. And uh, so how much prep do you do before you start writing pages? I, mm. I know you said the whole, do you index card every single scene in the movie and get all of those arcs mapped out and everything before you start writing pages? Yes. Okay. Fascinating. Um, um, I, somebody read one of my recent new pilots and they said, how do you keep track? Because you have three different storylines weaving through this pilot. Mm. Mm-hmm. I said, well, it goes on a big board. Mm-hmm. And if I can't make sense of it, I don't write it. But when I can make sense of it, I write that first scene. Mm-hmm. And then I build around it. But um, to me, that's my, you know, I guess my lifeblood of my work mm-hmm. is that board. Mm-hmm. Um, without it, I don't start. Yeah, you're like a one-man writing room, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because, you know, as you know, when you write a pilot, you're not just selling them on what the typical episode is. Mm-hmm. You have to have something. Well, what's going to make me turn in for episode two? Yes. Do, do I see one season, two seasons, three seasons? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, typically when I write a pilot, I can take them through the first year without even blinking um, mm-hmm. because it's all up on the board. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's a smart way to think about pilots too. Cause I know me personally, I'm more of a feature guy. I just mm-hmm. finished my first pilot and I'm proud of it, but um, my heart is definitely in films. I want to be more of a writer director, but uh, mm-hmm. I figured why not write a pilot? Uh, I think screenwriters should be well-versed, you know, pilot writers should write features, feature writers should write pilots. We should learn all that stuff because they are different beasts. Um, but for me, I've heard some, uh, people pitch pilots and this is something I thought about very hard before I got my concept I stuck with, uh, you hear someone pitch a pilot and it's like, okay, but what's, what is even the possible longevity of that concept? You know, when people talk about the story engine, you know, how are we going to propel ourselves through two, three, four, five seasons, uh, if you're lucky. But that's the selling point. You have to be able to get to two, three, four, at least two, but more like three to five, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and you hear people pitch those and, you know, I never want to be uh, the bearer of bad news, but it's like, it sounds like you have more of a feature idea than a and, pilot. And that's why uh, I write both. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I don't know if you've done it, but I've done it. Start out um, to write a pilot, like, hmm. This is a closed loop. Once I get from here to here, that's a movie. Mm -hmm. There is no season two. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I kind of have that worry about the pilot I wrote because I still haven't given it to readers yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, Still kind of touching up that very first draft before I get other eyes on it. But um, I I don't envy you the anxiety. 
um, <laughs> because I, I wrote my first comedy pilot in 2020. Okay. And when I had to send it out, I thought I was going to pass out. Really? Yeah. yeah and that, was it pretty out of your wheelhouse? For completely. People? I'd never, ever written a comedy pilot. Uh-huh. And it just, it was a story I wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was scary writing because not only was it a comedy, there's a big uh, LGBTQ component in the story. Mm-hmm. And I went out to the community and said, look, I've got this story. Here it is. Tell me whether you like the funny or not, but tell me that I'm representing your community. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the right way. Sure. And they were so gracious and so kind and helped me understand better what I put on the page, but also not, I wasn't beat up at all. They were all, this is great. We really love the fact that there's, you know, lead characters that are from our community that Mm -hmm. are being treated just, you know, the story isn't about them being gay. That's part of the the overall story, but it's about something else. Yeah. It's about them living their lives. And so once I got that back and people started funding, but that led to me writing the vapors later. Mm. And the vapors, I just turned it loose. No more fear. Yeah. Do you mind, just because I, I kind of know the log line, do you mind telling the listeners the log line of the vapors? Yeah, the vapors is set at the Pontchartrain Retirement Village. Mm-hmm. It is basically the Golden Girls meets Weeds. Mm-hmm. Three retirement village ladies start a black market business in order to con- save their homes and continue to live life on their own terms while staying one step ahead of their arch nemesis and the law. Love um, it. And, and the story engine for this script is really, like I said, Golden Girls meets Weed because you've got these two worlds. And I find it really funny right now that Paulina Poroskova is launching basically a one-woman campaign mm-hmm. against ageism for women of a certain age. Yeah. Um, she's been on, you know, the L.A magazine she's been on different things she's doing all these interviews and twitter posts and instagram posts and about her being invisible at 56 mm. and so i i pointed it out to her i said hey that's the reason i wrote the vapors i said i remember that I, yeah because i, I grew tweet. up in that world with you know steel magnolias there are no shortage of characters all across this country of women of a certain age who who don't want to fit in that box Mm-hmm. that society wants to put them in yeah you know they continue to live life out loud that's what this story is yeah yeah oh i love that man i i, I kind of have similar uh things in my work actually in the short that i shot last year that's still in post um there's a scene that like it you know there's i mean just spoiler alert there's some pot smoking uh, uh older woman and uh mm-hmm. whenever i started seeing your i think you have like a mock poster for the vapors mm-hmm. when i saw that i was like oh no i hope guy doesn't think that i bid off of his idea <laughs> i swear i was writing that but then like uh i have a feature belly ache that features a 50 year old protagonist who is a, a lunch lady at an elementary school um and you're right that is kind of like a, a or, or the actress calling that out it's kind of like a dead zone for so many actresses being mm-hmm. in that age range and it's like you know call us back when you're old enough to play the grandma that, exactly. s- that says grandma type of things and nothing more. 
so boring and so insane to me. And I wonder too, if part of this is because you and I are more working class people from normal backgrounds from, you know, uh, I'm from middle America and right. you know, you're from new Orleans, but, um, you know, those type of regular ass people are everywhere around me. And I find their stories to be fascinating because literally every person in this world has a story that there's going to be at least one detail in there that you're like, what that happened to you? Or, you know, there's, there's something unique about us also. I wonder if sometimes if it's like that LA bubble or that Hollywood bubble, um, I know that, you know, marketability is a thing, you know, and a lot of these maybe execs think, you know, you put a pretty face in there and it's going to draw people in and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, man. I never think about that kind of shit when I'm seeing a movie, like, you know, it's just, it's all about the story and the character. It's not necessarily, you know, not to call out any actress singular, but it's not just about, you know, some hot actress to me that's in a movie. Like, if the movie isn't great, I don't care. I don't care to see it, you know? Um, Whereas, you know, some actress who isn't, you know, considered like traditionally beautiful, that's not her only thing in Hollywood, uh, can have kick-ass movies. I, you know, again, I don't want to name names, but like, uh, I think, you know, what I'm getting at is like, uh, to me, it's ludicrous to block out anyone because of a certain age or you know a certain look or anything i i love i love directors or producers who take chances on the you know the less traditional actors well if you look at gene smart what she did with in mayor of east town and some other mm-hmm. shows yeah. recently you know it's been kind of a, a revival for her mm-hmm. but she was in designing women all those years ago mm-hmm um, and Mayor of Easttown, you know, had two women of a certain, you know, up there. Mm-hmm. And and it was a monster hit. Yeah. And I did a little research long after I wrote it. The biggest demographic that watches network and cable programming is the 45 and up. Mm-hmm. They're not into the streaming and the on demand. They watch stuff like they grew up with, with on, you know, what I call appointment TV. Mm-hmm. You know, it comes on Sunday night at eight o'clock. Got to be ready Sunday night at eight o'clock. Sure. So those people out, they watch more network and cable programming than any other age group combined. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's a huge market out there. Yeah. And I, it's not why I wrote the story, but I'm glad there is. Yeah. I wrote the story because I had an aunt who taught me to gamble when I was maybe seven or eight mm-hmm. at the racetracks, at the horse tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she got older, she stayed quite the character. Mm-hmm. She ran a bookmaking operation in her nursing home. Oh my gosh. I love it. So those are the kind of people I grew up around. So it's yeah. why, you know, I tell people all the time between the drain damage I got as a kid, mm-hmm. um, growing up on race behind, you know, on the backside of thoroughbred racetracks and mm-hmm. a misspent youth in the French quarter, mm-hmm. I do have a warped sense of reality. Yeah. I, I'm not for everyone. I don't expect to be for everyone. Mm-hmm but I hope to tell entertained stories that bring you in. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I very much relate to you on there. I mean, not in the uniqueness of your story, but uh, in my own story, you know, feeling that it's unique and that's the whole goal is like, you know, not all of us, but some writers out there really have, you know, lived an experience that like that they're like, I know that this is not like a lot of people's experience, 
and therefore I want to find, you know, uh, cinematic ways to tell my story, you know, mm -hmm. and that's it. And I was talking to, um, uh, David Williams, uh, in the last yeah. podcast episode, and we were talking about that a bit, um, that, you know, it's not so much too about telling your story blatantly, but it's about taking pieces of your life and finding ways to just kind of thematically insert them into a story that you can, you know, new protagonists, new setting, whatever. Uh, now, instead of you, you might've experienced this because in high school you felt a certain way. And now it's, you know, a professional football player who's, you know, 35 and on his way out of the NFL or whatever. But the feeling that you had is in your protagonist, too. It's mm -hmm. it's not about just straight up telling the story of your life, but taking those pieces and those feelings that you felt along the way and learning how to inject those into, you know, rich stories. And uh, that's mm -hmm. just kind of the beauty of being a writer for people who kind of identify as like, oh, yeah, my life's been a little fucked up at times, you know, uh, and I want to talk about it. And for me, it's been very therapeutic in a lot of ways. Oh, without a doubt. Okay, so let's say that you just finished a first draft. What is the first thing that Guy Crawford is looking to do? Are you like... Put it away. Okay, you're like me. Yep, um, I had to learn that. Yeah, put it away. Yeah. Um, I, I saw on your question, you know, how long does it typically take? Mm -hmm. For a feature, you know, after talking to some pros, they, they may get 10 to 12 weeks to write a script mm -hmm. that they've got to turn in. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty quick turnaround. I kind of stick to that. You know, that's my own personal deadlines. Um, and like for a pilot, I think it's two weeks that you can get through the WGA. Oh my gosh. I did not know that. Yeah. I think that's where, you know, don't quote me. I think it might be a half hour, but I think it's two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen that number, um, but I've seen for features it's 10 to 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of stick to those now for an, an hour pilot, mm -hmm. you know, I'll, I'll go to four to five, but for mm -hmm. a half hour pilot, I, I want to be able to do it because that will help me later on. Yes. If I get in a writer's room or I sell a project and I all of a sudden I, I'm on their schedule and time is money. Yeah. Yeah. You won't be blindsided with this new way of writing. Yeah. Now yeah. when you're writing for yourself, you know, I don't want to tell everybody you got to go set these deadlines. Sure. Don't do that. Um, mm -hmm. Write when you can, because life is so crazy <clears throat> and, and finish when you can, but finish, mm -hmm. you know, no matter what, get yeah. to the end. Yeah. If it's three months, six months, nine months, two years, get to the end. Mm -hmm. So how long are you putting a draft away before you look at it again? Um, it varies, but usually it starts at about two weeks where I get the itch to go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with that pilot I just wrote. I'm just about to crack it back open, but I have a bunch of day job bullshit I'm dealing with right now. Get that right. out of the way and get back to the fun stuff. But right. um, Yeah, okay, cool. And then are you like, you know, do you have like a peer group? Do you, I you know, do. some people like to use, you know, paid services. Uh, what's, what's the next step once you uh, crack it open again and you feel like, okay, I'm willing to let other human eyes touch this. <laughs> I have a, a, a small group of people that I will send it out to first. Gotcha. And then, and I've done this since the beginning with, because of rack, I've mm -hmm. read hundreds of scripts over the last few years of people. Mm -hmm. I'll put it out on Twitter. Say, okay, I have a project looking for readers mm -hmm. and I, you know, I'll get a select number in and I'll take all readers. I don't care. Mm -hmm. I want to see what their reactions are. I've already got a reaction from a core group of writers 
that I know and trust and have worked with. Now mm-hmm. I want to see what a typical audience would reaction would be. Mm-hmm. And I, and I love that aspect of it because I get these, these feedback and they're all well intended and mm-hmm. they always find something that'll mm-hmm. make it better. Yes. But the funny part is, is it might be a scene. Somebody say, well, this scene that needs this. Mm-hmm. And then somebody else will read the exact same scene and go, it's beautiful. Don't change yep. a thing. Yep. And so that's helps me on the subjectivity of our world and, and not, not to take notes personally that they're intended to help. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I love, I really love the fact that sometimes I, I get people say, God, I don't know how to give notes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because I interact with a lot of new writers with rack and, and I tell them, tell me what works for you. Mm-hmm. Tell me what doesn't work for you. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. Mm-hmm. I said, and just let, help me understand what you're seeing when you read the words. Mm-hmm. And, and that's invaluable to me. And, and it helps make my projects better. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, with, you know, do I take the note? Do I not take the note? It's kind of like, you know, if you get five reads and three people do say that that's an issue or whatever, or it's perfect. Uh, I play the odds game here, the numbers game, you know, of majority rules kind of thing of uh, the, the more people that seem to agree, then it must be right. Yeah. Well, I'll give you a great example. The, the project that I got a call from on CBS mm-hmm. was on the rack list. Yeah. I got these, these notes and they were like, well, I really think you should change this, change this. And several people said it. Mm-hmm. But I believe so intently that th- this part of the story had to be this way that I ignored it. And when the CBS people read it, the first thing they said was, we got to this point, and I, I was like, oh, God. Mm-hmm. I should have listened. And then I read further, and you said, we love this segment of the script because it nails the character and the path of this story in one scene. We hey. can use this. And so that's when I learned to trust my instincts. Yes. Yes. That all to me, all feedback is valuable. Um, but at some point, me, the writer, I have to choose the creative decision, you know, mm-hmm. and live or die with it. This is the story. I want to tell. Yeah. Yeah. I have kind of a funny story that's sort of similar, but it's the moment that I learned to start trusting myself as a writer. Uh, In the beginning, I would take all notes and just be like, okay, especially like, you know, a contest or something, I'd get notes back. And I think I have to take every single one of these because in my mind at the time, being such a new writer, I was like, well, if this person is from, you know, name a contest that's kind of prominent in our industry, right. uh, if they're a reader there, then they're in the industry and they're, they know story. They, they, you know, this is their job. And that is true to an extent. But then sometimes you learn, you know, I mean, there was a prominent contest. You had a lot of unpaid readers recently that I, I bet the credentials of to be a reader there were fairly low. And I say that with all due respect. Right. Um, and then you learn too. sometimes these people are, uh, uh, you know, college students who are screenwriting majors like I was at this time uh, who are interning. And it's like, oh, well, they don't know that much more than me, you know, or as much or maybe less. Uh, Mm -hmm. so I had to stop taking their word as gospel, but then at the end of 2020, like October, um, 
uh, I made a friend who was connected in the industry and just wanted to help me. And they got me a meeting with a pretty big management company that we all know. And, um, it was just a phone meeting, you know, uh, heat of the pandemic 2020. I mean, we're still there. Uh, actually it's worse, but, yes. um, anyway, I uh, got a phone meeting. I was very nervous, you know, and, uh, they had read my work and they liked it. And it was like a dramedy piece they had read, which was my wheelhouse the whole time. And then they told me, uh, you know, if you wrote something in like the thriller horror type space, uh, I bet we could sell something like that, you know, cause you're a good writer. And I'm a horror movie fan. So that was like not uh, something I was unwilling to do. And I was like, uh, okay. So I literally hung up that phone, abandoned all of my work before that. And was like, I'm going to go do, be a thriller horror writer from here on out. And I spent four months writing a feature. I wrote a feature and I was in a writing group that was uh, specifically for uh, horror writers. And uh, shout out everybody from Creepy Clutch. Those are all my <laughs> homies. That was the name of the group. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I workshopped it with them and they were all like, yeah, this is pretty good. And then a couple, like a month or two later, I brought in Suplex, which is one of my like more drama, dramedy scripts uh, and showed them that. And it was kind of like an overwhelming, like, oh, this is like real good. Like, this is your voice jumping off the page, you know, and I kind of could feel they weren't saying it out loud, but basically the implication was like, this wasn't happening in that other thing that you brought in. And this, this seems to be like you. And uh, I, I had made the tough decision of like, man, I really threw away like four months working on that thing and abandoning everything I'd ever done just because one rep told me, I think you should do this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I get back to, I say, okay, that was a mistake. I'm going back to the dramedy stuff. I already have two pieces that are kind of working. And then, you know, from there on out, those pieces have kind of done a lot for me. So it's like this yeah, hilarious I mean, thing of uh, just learning to trust yourself and learning that sometimes even someone who is very established in the industry like this person was, and also all due respect to him, like, I don't think that they knew that I was such a new ignorant writer that I was going to be like, okay, that's what I have to do. You know, they were just probably saying like, hey, pretty good. You know, if it was like in the thriller horror space, I bet it could be something that's even more marketable than this really small indie drama, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I think they were talking in terms of that. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Um, so, yeah, it's like you, you got to you got to go through some of those things to learn to trust yourself. And like you right. said, with the CBS thing, it's like your gut tells you right when they start talking about it, I was wrong. You know, uh, I don't know what's right for my script. Uh, it's just that voice in all of our heads, you know. Um, and you got to learn to deal with that and harness it. And, you know, don't become so don't don't shut it off because that voice is there for a reason. Sometimes it's telling you, you know, the right thing to do. Um, but yeah, you just got to it's it's a real tightrope act, isn't it? Being a screenwriter of or being a creator period, uh, making art from nothing. Uh, you really just have to learn to be humble enough that you're willing to take criticism. You're very easy to work with. Um, you know that you don't know all the answers, but then you have to build a confidence too at the same time that is, I do know what I'm talking about. I am good at this. Um, yeah, it's just a tightrope act, you know? Yeah, I, I like you know, to walking on the edge of a building. Yeah, you know it's it's a deep fall or you stay alive, but it's 
every day is different. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like I said, it's a game I chose. Yeah. And it's something I love. And where it goes, I don't know. But I tell people all the time, the day they bury me, mm-hmm. watch for my hand sticking up because I've got one more script. <laughs> Pilot or feature? Probably one of each. Okay. All right. I like it. All right. That's hilarious. I'm into it. And you know what? That's going to be the one that goes on Oscars, Emmys, <laughs> everything. No. And, and then I haunt some people. Hey, New Orleans, baby. That's exactly. what we're doing. Uh, all right. So, guy, uh, what are some hobbies outside of screenwriting that kind of help keep you sane? Um, I beat the hell out of golf balls. Oh, nice. Awesome. Um, at one time, I could play it a little bit, but mm-hmm. now it's just I go to the driving range, have a couple of beers. I don't mm-hmm. care where they go. Mm-hmm. It's just about releasing the tension. Yes. But I've always been a voracious reader. Oh, nice. And so I've always got one or two books sitting on that I'm reading. Mm-hmm. And I'll read when I'm not writing. I'll read when I'm eating things, you know, just a few minutes just to. And I'll always come across something to go, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, is this mainly fiction? Yeah, it's usually anything from thrillers to comedies, you know, just something to take my mind away from the world I'm in. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see how the, uh, just going to the driving range too, it's kind of like a therapy of its own. That's how uh, I skateboard. And mm-hmm. I like to go to the skate park by my house early in the morning, no one else there. And, uh, it's really amazing on the drive home afterward. I'm like, man, I needed that just to get away yeah. from. Yeah. It takes you out of that, that tension, you know? Yes. Yeah. The, especially for people like us, you know, the, the balance of day job, family life problems and trying to break into this industry that is so hard to break into. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, that's kind of why I threw that question on here. It's always a varying response, but um, I feel like we all need those things. There, there was a point where I got real, real serious about screenwriting and filmmaking. And I was like, I need to be working all the time. Any amount of free time I have that I'm not doing the day job, I need to be writing. I need to be thinking about short films. I need to be listening to podcasts about writing. I need to be studying films, all these things, reading scripts, uh, And then at a certain point, I had to make the choice to step back from living like that because it was doing more harm than good. You know, uh, you got to, as human beings, we have to have those things that aren't involved in the film world or the TV world and aren't involved in, you know, our day job and family. Uh, If you're lucky enough, you know, people with young kids and everything, it can be a lot harder to have Mm -hmm. those things. But even if you have, you know, 10 minutes a day that you can escape to a room in the house and like you said, crack a book open or whatever, but, um, yeah, it's an important part of it. Uh, the, the mental health game of chasing the stream is, you know, it's, it's intense. Well, that's why I always tell people you have to love it. Yes. You, it has to be something that you, like I said, you know, I don't need all the bells and whistles. All I need is a computer, sit down and go to work Yeah. because I've got stories I want to tell. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think that's what separates the people who are going to make it from the people who are going to throw in the towel is that the people who are going to make it, even if they throw in the towel, they'll realize shortly after I can't stop. 
you know, like I, like you said, I had these stories I want to tell. I've already written X amount of stories, but I still have new ones all the time. And that's a writer, you know, mm-hmm. when, cause that's part of it is being able to continually generate content not just write that one banger of a script that's super good and everything, which also, you know, if you can do that and that's it, more power to you. But um, yeah, I think that's, you know, writers are the people who just, the, the, the wheels are always churning, you know? Uh, so I want to ask you of the scripts that you've written, which is your favorite and why? Oh man. Um, that's like picking a favorite child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for me, it has to be the FIFA love. Okay. Yeah. I've seen a lot about this one on Twitter. Um, a lot of movies made in New Orleans kind of follow the same pattern. Bad Lieutenant, Black and Blue. You can go through them and you'll see, you know, bad cops, drug deals, gangs, whatever. Are there something? Um, but very few have tried to capture the, the aura or the vibe why people come to New Orleans. Um, to me, that's why one, one of the reasons I wrote the people is because it wraps up in legitimate, real-world legends, myths, um, and stories that are told around campfires and bars about the ghost, the treasure, the pirates. And I wrote the Fikolo partially for a friend of mine who I grew up with as a kid. Uh, she was part Caribbean, part something else. Um, I used the term biracial in the script, mm-hmm. um, but she had an utter fascination with the lost treasure of Jean Lafitte. Mm-hmm. And we spent a lot of adventures as kids where we may not have come back um, because we, we used boats in places we shouldn't have been as kids and, and looking for treasure. But she found one gold doubloon. Mm-hmm. And she uh, passed away at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And so when I decided to write this, I, I made sure she found the treasure. And that's mm-hmm. what the main character is based off of. And I told people, I said, and I never worried about her being walking up to the pearly gates. I said, because that's not what she did. She took her Harley right up to the gate, skidded to a stop and asked, where's the bar? (laughs) Because it's been a long ride from hell. Yeah. And and that's the vibe of the lead character. And the story revolves around that of, she knew she was different from an early age. Mm -hmm. She can see ghosts. Um, And one of my favorite characters in the script is Josephine. Mm -hmm. She's only on three pages. Mm -hmm. And she's a portal between this world and the next. And when you first meet her, you don't know she's a ghost unless you're really paying attention. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But one Mardi Gras evening, Misty, around midnight, some friends and I went into Jean Lafitte's blacksmith shop. And in Jean Lafitte's, it's a very small place. It's been there since the 1700s. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. they, don't, they don't use electric lights at night, only candles. Mm-hmm. It's exposed brick. You know, it's a very laid back place. And we were in there sitting right by the table. Mm-hmm. And it was like the air had been sucked out of the room. The candles flickered. And this woman came through the door. Um, as real as you or I, mm-hmm. but stunning. Mm-hmm. Creole woman in a dress. And as she passed the table, 
her hand just kind of brushed my shoulder and we and everyone at the table heard we heard we're not a, not always on the salt meaning sailing mm-hmm. we we turn she's gone there was nowhere for her to go we were sitting by the doors it's a small place she didn't go through a window or a brick wall wow and multiple people saw yeah, this well, yeah all yeah. of us at the table yeah and, and every one of us went oh shit yeah um and so i promised myself one day i would write her in a script uh, and, this, and this and this supernatural treasure hunt that goes through new orleans and includes the twins and and a rougarou and voodoo queens really encapsulates a lot of the vibe that is New Orleans, that mystical energy that comes off of people, um, you know, that come there and they come there and they have a good time. I heard one person say, even the dogs are happy in New Orleans. And that's because of that vibe. And that story focuses on what makes New Orleans New Orleans mm-hmm. versus a story about a drug dealer or a bad cop. I mean, because New Orleans has a long and wild history of colorful characters. And I brought a few of them in along with legends and this. So it, yeah. that's probably why it's my favorite. Um, mm-hmm. And my favorite comment from the people who have read it that I've never been to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Say, it makes me want to go to New Orleans and see all the places that are in the story. Because mm. all of the places that they go, the characters go, you could go yourself today. Um, I'm not promising you'll see a Rougarou yeah. or Josephine or the yeah. twins or any of the other ghosts that show up, mm-hmm. but they're all part of New Orleans lore. Man, that is so cool. Um, and I can see why it's your favorite too, because it's it's so you. It's so where'd you come from, you know? And uh, yeah, I think that's really, really awesome, man. And hearing the backstory, uh, yeah, just that, that's really awesome. I really dig it. Um, so I've kept you a long time. I'm going to try to start wrapping it up here. Okay. Uh, uh, what's a, a recent accomplishment that you're proud of? Could be screenwriting. It could be anything in life. Um, I'm going to stick with something that is screenwriting related because mm-hmm. it, it goes back to part of the theme of what we talked about. Mm-hmm. To have a professional showrunner mm-hmm. and an executive producer's talk about my work you know david steinberg was kind enough to put it out there and um zach stentz told circle of confusion you mm-hmm. should read god mm-hmm. there's nothing in it for them yeah there is absolutely zero in it for them to do that yeah um and so for me it's not a validation of my writing as much as it is the relationship that I built with these people where they were willing to read and also vouch for me. Mm-hmm. And that means a lot. Um, I'm a very simple human, you know, from the Midwest thing, the mm-hmm. two things after my family and friends that matter, mm-hmm. my name and my word. Mm-hmm. I won't, I won't sully my name nor break my word. Mm-hmm. And so that may be old fashioned and it may be out of touch, but those kind of things so when these people do that for me with nothing in it for them, mm-hmm. and really there's only a downside for them if somebody were to read my work and say, you know, you didn't really know what you were talking about. Exactly. Yeah. And and that is the a, a big risk 
mm-hmm. people run, you know, when vouching for someone. Um, yeah, it means so much, doesn't it? So that's to me, that's the accomplishment that you know I'm most proud of because of, it shows that who I am matters as yeah. much as what, what I write. Yeah, yeah, that's really that's beautiful, man. Um, yeah, I've had the same experience with um, you know people who don't know me in real life uh, reaching out and just wanting to help, and they have a name and they have a mm-hmm. reputation. Um, it, and it, every time, like, I mean, I've had times too, where I'm like overwhelmed by it. Like it, it almost gets me teary eyed. I'm like, why are you doing this? Why are you reaching back in this way? You don't have to do that. And like you said, basically all that can come from it for them is negative or just kind of the nice feeling you get if it did work out for the person that you were helping, you know, right. but really they're the one that's winning, you know, you're mm-hmm. kind of just, uh, you kind of get that nice feeling like you helped someone, which, uh, is great and everything, but it's, you run a lot more risk by doing that. So it's, and I think that's something too, that in this industry, you kind of start to realize it's like, wow, they're really, you know, you hear a lot of shitty things. Uh, those are the people who make the news more often, but, um, you, you really start to realize firsthand just how many kind people there are in this industry and just how many established people who don't have to reach back in the way that they do, do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really a nice thing. And I, I, I'm sure you feel the same as me that I just hope, you know, if I ever get in a position that I will be able to reach back, you know, absolutely help people. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cause we know what it's like, you know, out here just grinding it out. And not only does it take talent and work ethic to get there, <clears throat> it also takes a little luck. Oh, I, uh, kind of think, think of it, um, in terms of like sports teams, you know, to go through the grind of, uh, playoffs, uh, not only do you need to be a great team and playing at a high level at that time, but also you need a little bit of luck on your side too. You know, that one swing of the bat that changed a game, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of similar, you know, and that's where doing the work, putting your head down, being a good person and just being ready when that opportunity comes, you know, is it's, it's a big part of the game that we play. Yeah. Um, so if you could give a few words of advice, which basically we've been doing the whole podcast, but if you could right. give a few words of advice to uh, fellow writers out there, especially newer ones, or even those who are literally just getting started, uh, what would Guy Crawford say? The first thing is write what stirs your soul. Write what keeps you in front of the keyboard. Hmm. Um, don't be afraid to reach out to, to your peers that you have that you build. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the, probably the biggest piece of advice I get is don't get caught up in what somebody else is doing. Mm. Don't compare your journey to someone else's. Yes. Nothing good comes from that. Um, and, <clears throat> and, and without, it probably goes out saying, but finish. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I see so many people start a project, quit a project, start a project. Well, I'm starting this one. My last one didn't work. At some point, you're going to reach a place where somebody's going to say, I want to read your script, and they're going to be somebody from the industry. And if you don't have something, they're not going to ask again. No. Yep. Um, so you, like you said earlier, you've got to be prepared. when that. And the only way to do that is, you know, I always tell people, they say, well, what are you doing? I say, well, I'm grinding for the next inch in front of me. Not the mm. next foot. The next inch. That's all I'm concerned about right now. 
I'm not concerned about if I get a manager. I'm not concerned about if I sell a product. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about the next niche. How do I get that to attract those people into my orbit? And yeah. that's what I would tell writers. Focus on the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, it, it really is. It's such a complex road that we tend to complicate in our minds. How am I going to get there? But when you break it down like that, it really is pretty simple, you know? And at that point, you're just hoping that opportunity does fall in your lap. But like you said, you must be prepared. Um, not comparing yourself to others, man, it's it's brutal sometimes. And I think uh, it, it really is a skill that you have to learn, especially with all of us on Twitter, the way we are and how we celebrate our wins. And uh, that's why I like to sometimes talk about the losses on Twitter. Mm-hmm and be public about it. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, and uh, some other writers do that too, but, uh, and I think I've seen you do it, but, um, yeah, we gotta be transparent about that too, because on a website where we do celebrate our wins, it's very important to let people out there know to listen, it's not all wins for all of us. So, cause there might be some people out there who only really post whenever they have like a win, you know, Mm -hmm. or something positive. And that's cool too. Like do what you do. But I do like to think of it as like, ah, I'm down to be the fall guy, <laughs> you know, to, to just remind people out there not to create a toxic success environment and be like, no, we're all human and we're all taking. Lo-. I mean, every screenwriter is taking more losses than they are wins. That's just yeah. A fact. That's the skewed view of Twitter is you see these people who win are placing contest after contest after contest. Yes. Look beyond that. Yeah. Um, how many did they enter? How much money did they spend? Did you mm-hmm. have the same budget that these people had? Mm-hmm. Um, but and I see the pros, you know, say it, and I'll say it all the time. For every win you see, there's countless no's. Mm-hmm. There's countless rejections. Mm-hmm. There's no telling how many man hours that it took to write the script that got them to this place. Don't judge them because they won on this script. Mm-hmm. Look over the last five, maybe 10 years of the scripts they wrote there were little building blocks that got them to this script yep. and all the river of no, because for the little bit of success I've had, um, it's far outweighed by the no. Yeah. Oh, me too. Me too. Far outweighed. And you're right. You know, how with how much money have they spent? How many contests have they entered? And also like, you know, uh, we should all feel good about contest wins and stuff, but I think there is mm-hmm. something to look at, uh, look at where they placed and look at what did it actually do to move the needle of their career. And I'm not saying that to be a dick. I'm not saying that to downplay anyone's wins, but I do think we all need to take, you know, a good hard look at the contest industry and just say, you know, which ones are actually reputable that I should give my $70 to, um, which ones actually put their writers out there on the map, you know, which, I mean, we know of certain ones, you know, I mean, like I, I recently had success with script pipeline and I can vouch that like, just from, you know, after the fact, after I won, I went back and kind of looked at writers who have won in the past and just to see what they're doing. And there are a number whose script pipeline really helped, you know, propel them to the next level, putting them out there, getting them meetings, things like that. And I hope that'll happen for me, but like, we'll find out. But um, but my interactions with Script Pipeline have been so positive that I have no reason to think otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's a number of others, but like, you know, look at the contest and look at what's happening. 
just and all that to say, don't get super bummed out when you know a big contest drops their quarterfinalist announcement, and it seems like everyone and their mother has an announcement to make. I made it. I made it. I made it, and you were rejected. Just, mm. just know that uh, it, it it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone just sold a feature, you know, and that you're the only non-working screenwriter out there. Uh, it, 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 Twitter can be such a beautiful thing. And I would, again, I, I say this on every episode, I would urge any screenwriter who found this outside of like meeting me through Twitter. Uh, I would encourage everyone to get on Twitter. It's just a, a really positive place to build relationships. And if you're not in Hollywood or maybe New York, um, it's just, it, I think it can really expedite the process, you know, of trying to build a career. You know, you can meet people who you never would have met. You can meet people on Twitter who you never would have met, even if you both lived in Hollywood. Exactly. You know, you can build a relationship. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it's it's a really cool, positive thing. And the flip side of that coin is that there can be some level of toxic positivity out there. There can be some level of, honestly, just negativity. We see that all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so keep a balance, but also, um, yeah, it, it, it can be a beautiful thing when we're all connecting. Right. Guy, let me know. Are there any projects that you'd like to plug anything going on? I mean, you did mention rack, which is great. Uh, people can kind of look forward to that. Um, I've got two new pilots. I'm going to be taking out this year into the fellowship. And, you know, some people call it the fellowship season. I call mm -hmm. it the rejection season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, because the odds are so long and the competition so fierce. It's yep. not a reflection on the work, but I've got a couple of new pilots. Um, yes, they're New Orleans-centered. One of them is called Grave Justice. It's a one-hour quasi-procedural um, cop drama, but mm -hmm. it deals with crime that is both supernatural and natural, and it's geared around a by-the-book kind of lone ranger, old-fashioned lawman cop, mm -hmm. and a witch who wrangles spirits um and so and they get help from beyond the grave uh to help crimes that go both ways on between the veil wow that is very cool and very new orleans sounding yeah um and then i'd written it a while back and put it away but because of i'm a huge taylor sheridan fan unapologetic uh -huh. yep um because of what i feel the truth that comes through in his work whether yeah, you like I, the man or not. I, I love him too. Um, yeah. But his Yellowstone series mm -hmm. made me pull it back out and look at it. And it's called The Crew. And it's spelled K-R-E-W-B, as in a Mardi Gras crew. Okay. Um, and it's built around a Dixie Mafia family who have empires on both sides of the lawn. Mm -hmm. And they're a family similar to the Yellowstone family but they're instead of protecting land, they're protecting their world. They have their own little fiefdom in South Louisiana, south of New Orleans. Mm -hmm. um, everything from oil and gas to shipping to smuggling, where they got their, their start in the Civil War. Um, and so that's kind of the two stories I'm going to take out to the fellowship and see. Either they hate them, love them, or in between, but see if I can get in front of some other industry eyes as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then for Rack 22, mm -hmm. I'm going to write a story that 
uh, Noah Eslin suggested last year after I went through the hurricane. Mm-hmm. It's called yeah. Brave the Cat. <laughs> and it's and it's a it starts out about a, a screenwriter getting a call from Spielberg wanting his script uh-huh. as the hurricane hits. And uh-huh. he has to try to get back to where his computer is and the jump drive that he thought he had, he left in his apartment. But in, and it's, that's the story I'm going to try to write and put all the hurricane stuff in it. And we'll see where yeah, it goes. Sure. But the two pilots are really, you know, I've got the early reviews on them are pretty good. People love the, the vibe, the concepts. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, that was Guy Crawford. Guy, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, man. Uh, finally getting to know you a little bit. Um, and your at on Twitter is at bogeyguyc. Yes. Yeah. B-O-G-E-Y-G-Y-C. So writers out there on Twitter, if you don't know Guy, which I don't know how you wouldn't at this point, go follow Guy. He's a great follow, super positive guy, great writer. Just uh, a good follow. Uh, yeah, man, it's been a pleasure. And uh, uh, I look forward to seeing what you do in 2022. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of your, your, so I look forward to seeing where you go. All right, guys, that was Guy Crawford. Episode four is in the books. Um, thank you so much for listening. I hope it wasn't too long. Uh, tell me on Twitter. If you think these episodes are cool because they're kind of long, maybe they can be cut down. I'm kind of thinking about getting them closer to one hour. So let me know if you'd be into that. Um, Recording with a cool guest tomorrow morning. So look forward to episode five. I'm really excited about it. I'm going to be weird and secretive about it because I don't know. I don't understand marketing and I don't understand building brand interest. Um, I'm hoping that that's how you do it by keeping secrets. And then surprising, like pleasant surprises. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, a reminder again, if you want to donate to the podcast, I would gladly accept donations at this point because these things are kind of a lot of work, but I'm also having a great time doing it. If you can, awesome. It's in our link tree on Twitter or Instagram. Just click it. The top button says donate and it's like a PayPal thing. So it's all legit. It's official. I'm not trying to rob you. I swear to God. Um, but yeah, I would super appreciate it. And that's about it guys. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to the next one. Thank you. The social screenwriters podcast.